everybody. Welcome to episode 193 of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, your source for all things indie film. I'm one of your hosts, Sashia Dumont. I'm another host, Mr. Paul Robinson, and today... We have guests again. We do have guests again. I'm very excited. Um, so introduce yourselves, please. Uh, so I am Jamie Mendek. I am the host of a film-related uh, or adjacent podcast called Cripple Threat. Um and I'm a software developer. Nice. nice. I'm Anthony, co-host of the very same Cripple Threat, and also a computer nerd. Nice. Computer nerds all around, I'm except nerd for out. me. I'm nerd out. <laughs> I am pretty illiterate. Yeah. Um, so, um, so I, I had. Uh, come across you and and found out about the podcast and I thought this is really this is really interesting because we've had uh, guests on to talk about uh, disabilities in film and cinema and shows and things like that and uh, we it it was kind of alarming uh, when we had initially had Eileen Gruba on and she was telling us what she had to deal with as an actor on set and uh, I've listened to to your to your podcast and it's always interesting to hear your opinions of how you feel representation in film and and TV kind of pans out or doesn't pan out for you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, uh, have no background uh, in film, either like production or academia. We're just two guys who watch movies, especially me. Um, we started the podcast because uh anthony knows that i'm like obsessed with movies it's one of the things that i can't stop talking about even when i try and so uh but i have this uh aversion to a lot of popular media that features people with disabilities because of the nature of the uh the tropes and stereotypes that are typically ascribed to these characters and so he's like why don't we start a podcast where I force you to talk about why you don't like these movies? <laughs> <laughs> and then, so we did that, and it's been uh, a lot of fun. Uh, it, yeah, it's been amazing, actually. I love the name of the podcast, too. It was really clever. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a source of uh, debate uh, l- lately, since we've uh, gotten past our 50th episode, uh, because... <laughs> Anthony's well me too like for example uh applying for jobs recently I was wondering whether or not I could put the title in my resume because of the word cripple Uh. and um you know it's kind of a uh, uh it's one of those terms that is ambiguous I guess as to whether or not it is offensive Mm -hmm. but uh I you know, we don't think so, obviously. Yeah. I think when we started it, too, we just, we were just, like, sort of bored during the pandemic, and we've been talking a lot, and we've, you know, as Jamie mentioned, like, he watches movies all the time. I watch a few, but I'm definitely not, like, verbose in terms of my ability to dissect them or even really qualify why I like something. Mm-hmm. But Jamie's really good at that, and I've watched a lot of these movies and just sort of like oh that's cool that there's disability and then i just end my thoughts there (laughs) but then he's like yeah but what about all these other things 
Right. And which are always really good points. And so then we were like, yeah, let's just make a podcast. So we just kind of threw it together, just sort of forcing ourselves to do something other than talk to each other endlessly. <laughs> yeah. And so we, we just threw a name on it. And yeah, now now we're sort of at that point where it has, we have developed at like a bit of a fan base and like some, some people seem to really be interested in coming back to it. So now we're, you know, trying to talk about whether or not it's even like a marketable name. Because like Jamie said, the word cripple is like, honestly, it's not even a word I use myself. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, no, it definitely, I think achieves the desired effect of shocking people into realizing like, like facing some of those ableist thoughts that they might have. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see where somebody would say, be sensitive to it and say it's not a word that you should use. But immediately when I heard it, I thought it's it's a play on words. It's not meant as, oh, right. oh, we're using the word crippled. It's that because this is how society still sort of views people. And so it's it feels like more of that play on that word on, you know, there's more to it. Um, but I, I just think that it's really it's really interesting because there's been a, a slight uptick. I mean, there's always kind of been those the, the films throughout the years that are inclusive and, you know, they go, oh, well, this is supposed to be an inclusive film, even though it will oftentimes do the complete, have a complete opposite effect. But um, I feel like there's been a bit of an uptick, but it always sort of feels like, uh, like, for instance, a film like Quiet Place, you know, you have an actor who is actually deaf and you have uh, the her co-stars learning ASL so that they can communicate with her on set so that it's not uncomfortable and all you know and all of that is is awesome and then there's a part of it as an able-bodied person and as someone who can hear that sort of wonders if it also feels a bit gimmicky you know that it's like oh look it's a film about monsters that are sensitive to hearing and we're going to have a deaf <laughs> character because clearly those two things have to go together whereas like for me having that that inclusive nature is just having a deaf character and not addressing the fact that they're deaf they're just deaf because they are and that's it and it's not based around the, you know the the gimmick is not sort of based around that yeah, the entire this is something... sorry, sorry go ahead tony well i was just going to say that, like we have talked about this extensively and thought about the fact that like so many movies seem to include disability for some gain right there's Mm -hmm. seems to be like some ulterior motive a Mm -hmm. lot of the time Mm -hmm. where the disability is trying to you know inspire the audience or to prove some societal norm doesn't exist or some point and we just want to see movies where there is a person going through human emotions having a real human struggle, succeeding or not, but the disability that they have is just secondary. It just they happen yeah. to have mm-hmm. a disability. Yeah, I think that's a, a huge kind of uh, theme in Hollywood with kind of anything, right? I mean, you know, be it disabilities, be it color, be it sex, you know, whatever it is, and the sex of a person, not the act of it, but uh, you know where where that uh, <laughs> that is 
it, it's always made a point of it, right? You know, we're going to make this type of film that shows how this person overcame whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like, to me, it's more powerful when that person is just there in the story and it's no, there's no point to it. And, and that's not to say that there's not great stories to be told that center on people overcoming these adversities mm-hmm. or whatever. Of course there are, you know, there in any myriad of, of elements that can be, um, that could be so, but, you know, to have, um, uh, a, a, to say a, a person with a disability that's in a cast that is just part of the cast. And then they just, they were written as if they were not that, you know, as yeah. if they were quote unquote able-bodied, you know? And so, um, or just have it not that be to related is, to the script. Yeah, it's that just, to me is always so. And again, it just I, is what it is. I realize I'm I'm talking from the outside of it all, but to me as a viewer, that is always much more powerful of a statement because then it's just they're it's just saying that this is how the world is, and and we're representing that on screen. For sure. Um, I don't know if Peter Dinklage would identify as disabled, but he comes to mind as one of the only. Um, uh, Hollywood personalities or actors that has enough clout that he can star in movies mm-hmm. where the basis of his character and their motivation has nothing to do with being short right. or having challenges in that that realm. And that's really interesting to me because I think as well it shapes how people react to his performances. He is treated like, you know, like a contemporary successful thespian actor Mm -hmm. who commands the screen and like is uh applauded on the basis of his performance and just you know his personality and like that's it's a a monumental achievement um Mm -hmm. he also has never been like the source of oscar bait or anything like that so it's really really interesting to me that the normalization of peter dinklage uh, has done a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting, I ha- had a couple of thoughts about A Quiet Place. Um, I liked that movie as a horror film. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was like, it- it's really interesting when you have horror films with creatures that have um, simple constraints and you you set up like problem solving for the the survivors to overcome the creatures based on those constraints. And to introduce disability as a part of that, like, you know, this character is better adept to survive like an encounter with the creatures because they are hard of hearing Mm -hmm. and that empowers them. I think that's a really interesting idea. And I also think that, uh, yeah, like I've, I've never really seen many other films where the, the story is not necessarily about deafness but it is a feature Mm -hmm. of the film and it does sort of give the the deaf person an an opportunity to overcome obstacles like by utilizing their disability which is a rare a rare thing to see in these movies Mm -hmm. Mm. so it's good but it's not perfect yeah right yeah, I think and being I, I deaf think, is her superpower. Exactly. Right. Yeah, and and I feel like that happens. That like that can go two ways. And uh, speaking to people, some people feel like, why does it always have to be linked to some kind of 
you know, mystical ability as if, you know, being disabled or being uh, deaf means that you're somehow like this otherworldly creature and only you have these mm. abilities. And then other people think like, well, hey, it's better than nothing at this point, you know, so like we'll take what we can get. Um, and so it's kind of a double edged sword with that. But I feel like we do that, you know, we do that with uh, people of color. We do that with women whenever, uh, you know, there's a, a strong female character. It's usually because she had to overcome some kind of sexual assault or like, you know, and it's like, do we always have to have been raped in order to have to just be badasses or something? Mm. You know, maybe this person's just a villain just because they are or, you know, it doesn't have to have this tragic uh, background to it. And there's also a temptation to imbue these characters uh, with like zero flaws. Yes. Like make them right. super virtuous and mm -hmm. perfect in almost every way such that they become unrelatable. Mm -hmm. And the, mm -hmm. the, the meta narrative of the importance of that character being in the film is actually the point of their existence in the story. And in that in itself sort of excludes these kinds of characters from actually being part of compelling storytelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. that's a really good point. Yeah. Mm. We've said so many times that we just want to see like some shitbag of a person mm -hmm. disabled, like on screen yeah like just someone who like nobody likes or maybe not even like the worst person but just at least a flawed person and not someone who's just you know perfect in every way and mm -hmm. inspirational to everyone around him and dies teaching everyone a lesson right yeah because I, I just it, i would imagine it just sort of seems more pandering than anything after a while absolutely yeah, yeah. it's exhausting yeah it's also as a disabled viewer, you're like, I, sometimes I just want to be a jerk. You know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> now I have to look up to this guy who's lived his life inspiring everyone around him. And I was like, I'm having a bad day and like normalize normal. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We we often reference a, a I can't remember the series but it was a, it was a European series and I feel that uh, overseas there's sort of there's there seems to be a bit more of a balance. Uh, we've watched shows, um, BBC shows, and you know watched a lot of shows from like Finland and Switzerland and and uh, this specific show which I can't remember of course um, one of the mm -hmm. characters was um, like missing a finger or had some kind of disfigurement on their hand and. You know, just as an American viewer, because we're so used to there being a backstory to this, immediately mm. I thought like, oh, why is he missing a finger? Like, what does that right. mean? Mm -hmm. And then when we never, like, we started to not get an answer to it. And I was like, I think he's just missing a finger because sometimes people are missing fingers you know? <laughs> and that just happens or he had an accident or, you know, and I was like, oh, this isn't relative to the story at all. It made no difference. Like, it was just like, oh, he's just missing a finger. Um, and And I feel like, that's probably the best way to sort of ease people into it because we are so used to, as an audience, getting an explanation for this difference. We need to know why we're seeing something that we don't normally see on TV, which is ironic because we'll see it in real life and we don't question that. It's like, oh, this person's missing an eye. Okay, and you move on with your day. But you want it explained to you when you're watching it on the screen. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it creates this strange expectation that every disabled person has to have an origin story. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, uh, like, when I was in high school, the first time I watched The British Office, um, there are background characters uh, that exist in, in the 
like that are in the office and one of them was a person in a wheelchair and she doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue but she's always sort of present Mm -hmm. in throughout the series and most of the time uh david brent uh uses her for some incredibly uh uncomfortable fodder small talk and i loved that Mm -hmm. because there was no no example was made of her and she wasn't really featured in any major arc of the series but she still existed and she was a person with a job in the greater context of that brilliant show and i remember just like loving the slice of life kind of aspect of it Mm -hmm. yeah what so you know, with your 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 wealth of knowledge and in, in what you what you've watched and and kind of curated, what what are some common themes and tropes that you see a lot that are probably the worst case scenarios, and what are some that you've seen that are really great representations of of what it is that you're trying to uh, that you hope to see more of? So, uh, I'll go first, Tony, if that's okay. Um, yeah. The uh, my least favorite trope or the one that upsets me the most um is when a a disabled character in a predominantly uh, disabled story dies at the end of the movie (laughs) it's like it's always like a a remarkable high achieving individual like stephen hawking Mm. or like the john hawks character from uh, the, the sessions, sessions. Mm-hmm. or like any, I think there's probably at least a dozen films that we've watched out of the 50 some in the last year and a bit where the character dies at the end and the like emotional crescendo in the third act is the eulogy that attests to the importance of this disabled person's life mm-hmm. and the significance of their adversity in the lives of the people around them. And the, the, you know, the supposed grief that everyone feels that this person has left the earth. And it's just so annoying because it sets up this, this, this strange kind of trope that I think where uh, people think that we have like limited lifespans and we're incredibly fragile yeah. and we're going to die very soon. It's like mm. very silly. Yeah. Um, also, the movie then becomes less about the disabled character and more about how the people around him are going to react to right. that event. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it sort of turns away from the story that you want to focus on, which is that person and their life. But then it ends and, and then it just goes back to the able-bodied audience uh, surrounding him being like, oh, no, I'm, now how am I going to live knowing that this inspirational person is gone? Mm. Right. Um, and actually, in a recent episode, uh, we had a guest uh, called George Parker who termed this trope uh, Chekhov's Cripple, which is that <laughs> if, a disabled, if a disabled person is introduced in the first act of a movie, by the third act, they will be dead. <laughs> oh, no. That's I mean, or it cured. Makes sense. Yeah, or right. cured, right. Or cured, right. of course. Wow. Do you, do in you... terms of good movies, though... Mm-hmm. Um, We've definitely watched some good movies. One of my, like, when we started, we watched the documentary Crip Camp early on. Mm -hmm. And it's a documentary, so it is sort of in a category of its own. But the way that they handled 
the disability in the, in the documentary was so good because, again, it wasn't pandering. It was just really real and raw. And uh, I mean, it was very obvious that uh, the disabled people involved in the shooting of it were also like people in the documentary. So it was authentically the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've sort of been chasing that as the holy grail, I would say, mm. ever since. Um, but more recently, uh, I don't know if you would agree, Jamie, but I loved Coda. Yeah, um, Coda was excellent. And it's nominated for a Best Picture right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't seen that yeah, one yet. Yeah, I haven't yet. seen that one yet. I know that's been getting a lot of um, notoriety and stuff, uh, so we'll have to check that one. I did, I did see Crip Camp, and I liked that one. Um I wonder, um, and maybe it's just the way that I feel. I wonder sometimes with these movies, like uh, if it's if it's less about representation for people in that uh, community uh, than it is for the audience to have a feel good moment. Like uh-huh, we sort of yeah. use people's disabilities to be like, oh, what a what a heartwarming moment that this person has sacrificed their life to take care of this other person and mm-hmm. now i feel good about myself for some reason <laughs> you know that yeah. it's it's less about like how does this how does this represent people in this position and more about a feel good also i could see a, a studio doing that like hey we've done our part we've we've made this movie where this person is in a wheelchair so we're good like we're all good to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah like we hit our quota. Our mission accomplished. Quota. You know, the mere act of watching the film is having contributed to some solution toward that person's problem. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, it's I, also I totally like a magnification that. of the thing that happens to a lot of disabled people, where you get congratulated on your day to day life just for living your day to day life, like. You go to the grocery store and someone's like, good for you for being out. And that's the same thing that's happening a lot of the times in these movies when someone's like, oh, good for you for, you know, writing a book and now we'll make a movie about you. Uh, But then it just sort of ends there. It's a very transactional uh, exchange where Mm -hmm. they get to feel good knowing that they've acknowledged you. And then they move on living their day feeling better about themselves. Mm. Yeah. And do you also feel like it, that you often don't, this this sort of also goes back to your, your point of uh, this, this weird misconception that having a disability equates to having to live a shorter life that we never see people that are in their older age. You know, it's yeah. usually like yeah. we'll find and then and then also it's like, let's find uh, the most attractive person that we can in Hollywood <laughs> to play this person because we have to like almost make up for it. You know, like mm. we if if we're going to have uh, this actor seated the whole time because they're crippled, like at least let's give the audience something to look at. Let's make sure, you know, when this actress is in the shower that. Uh, she's got a great rack or something, you know, like because <laughs> we we have to almost uh, uh, it's it's like this weird cinematic apology for yeah. for having to put the audience through that. We'll give you something else because it's not enough that you know this character just is who they are, and we never get to see that in old age. I can't really think of uh, a, a film where I've seen an actor that was 
uh, you know, aside from like, you know, Stephen Hawking or something where it's, you know, but like yeah. we're just a characters in their 70s or 80s or 90s and is wheelchair bound. If it is an older character, typically uh, that disabled character is played by an able-bodied actor mm -hmm. and that able-bodied actor is very recognizable right. and yeah. like critically applauded for some other role. So thinking like Daniel Day-Lewis or uh, or uh, Brian Cranston, um, they come to mind. Mm -hmm. uh, that's actually one reason why we really liked uh, Crip Camp, because you get an opportunity to see disabled people in, in settings and contexts that you never see them. So you get to see them, for example, like, uh, like at a... Uh, uh, at a summer camp, uh, which it, like is sort of framed like the the wheelchair uh, Woodstock, right. and so yeah. there's there's uh, they're partying and socializing and talking about real issues and drinking and falling down and fucking up. Mm -hmm. it, it's like it's really cool to see that, and then you kind of get also t to see them grow up and transition out of their twenties and become politically conscious and active. And uh, to act upon those, you know, to act upon their politics. So you get to see them be adults <laughs> and to challenge the able-bodied world in various capacities. And so it's really cool because um, there's there's even uh, little vignettes about uh, uh, disabled people in relationships dating one another uh, and having families and stuff. Like the, there were two disabled characters in Crip Camp who had kids, and I was like, "What the fuck is this? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome, so cool." So it's stuff like that that I, that I really like. Um, another thing, somewhat unrelated, but I love when there's a, a wheelie movie or a movie with a main character in a wheelchair uh, where the genre is not like inspiration porn or mm -hmm. like illness movie or whatever like if it's uh horror or sci-fi or like a western or anything like that it's really uh cool to me because it means that, it, that there's a, a likelihood that they're going to explore some new ideas mm -hmm. which is why a quiet place gets a bit of a pass in my mind as well as uh there's another film called run which is basically like you know uh it's a lean, uh, modern horror film about a young woman who mm -hmm. uh, is trying to leave her childhood home for university, but mm -hmm. her mother has Munchausen's by proxy. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, uh, uh, what's it that Kathy Bates movie? Misery. Misery. Misery, yeah. So it's kind of like Misery, but with an actual like, yeah. disabled person. We saw that. We, so, we did like that film. Yeah, yeah it was kind of cool because, like, you know, she has these these problems to solve throughout that film how do i get down the stairs how do i just escape my house how do i overcome my mother and it's all very well kind of staged it like it uses the medium of film mm -hmm. to like show her her mm -hmm. physical adversity which is really cool it's not just like implied or like portrayed as tragic mm -hmm. uh, i think so yeah with that movie also um i i'll be the first to admit that I just assumed it was she was an able-bodied actress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I was yeah. like, because there's no way. 
Yeah. There's no way that they're right. going to cast somebody who's who actually has a need for a wheelchair at any capacity, whether it's, you know, uh, 24-7 or just uh, situational. Like, there's just no way that, we're, that we would do that. And I remember thinking, like, she's doing a really good job of, like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah. wow, she's really, like, getting that. Because there's always this sort of, like, I almost feel like there's this – when able-bodied actors will play somebody that's dis- disabled, they almost overplay it. Because they're not, you know, like as an able-bodied person, I'm not used to having to pick my weight up in a chair and shift myself over onto something else. So there's that struggle. Whereas like, I think people in the direction of that forget like this person's been doing this their whole life. It's not good. They're not struggling to get onto that bed from that chair because they've had to do this or into their car. They're just going to do it. And we kind of, you know, as an able-bodied person, we're like, oh, oh God, I have to get into here. And but yeah. but when I watch somebody in a wheelchair get into their car, I'm always amazed how they get in their car faster than I do somehow because it's like <laughs> yeah. boom, 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 you know, yeah. chair folds up, goes in and they're out. And so um, I, I remember watching that and being like, well, she's kind of nailing this. Like, this is pretty good, like good representation. And then uh, I immediately at the end was like, oh, God, I wonder if she's gotten hate for doing this movie. And I was like, oh, my God, she actually does use a wheelchair. I was like, holy shit, you know, yeah. <laughs> because... Well, that's, that's uh, I almost the, wanted to like watch it again, like knowing that. Yeah, I mean that's that's the one good thing, I guess. I mean, look, progress is always way slower than it needs to be, mm-hmm. and is like unbelievably like behind the curve. But I feel like there's been a, more backlash now than ever before in regards to stuff like that. If you're casting somebody that's in a wheelchair, and you know the character is, let's say, for whatever reason, whether it's you know to 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 use them as a, a tool for the for the plot or if it's just whatever it is um mm-hmm. people are are, bec- are becoming more aware of that and holding these production companies more accountable for that sort of thing which is good and again it's not at any kind of pace that anybody's happy about but there is i guess that is a, a silver lining in that mm-hmm. there is some kind of there's been more blowback now than ever before still not enough clearly but i guess that's one one thing i don't know <laughs> yeah for sure um i mean it's 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 a, it's a tough one uh when we so you're talking about the um the authenticity of the transfers in run mm-hmm. that's something that's really interesting to me um like you could sort of tell that there was like something was telling you that she she was probably disabled before you actually found found that out and like the the tendency to overperform disability is is so uh it really frustrates me like yeah. i cannot stand eddie redmayne in, uh, <laughs> i knew this is gonna go <laughs> anthony's like here we go <laughs> like the theory of everything He's just like such an over actor, and you know it works in high concept fantasy like Fantastic Beasts. But when you're trying to be Stephen Hawking, like go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's when it becomes the whole role isn't about like capturing the essence of being Stephen Hawking. It's about let's see how well I can play ALS. Right, right, and that's yeah. a different thing. Like that's that's not what the movie's even supposed to be. He's not just a guy with ALS. He's Stephen Hawking. Right. Right. 
we seem like as audiences to love the idea of actors disappearing into their roles. Like lately I'm hearing for the Batman all kinds of accolades for Colin Farrell because no one under like no one realized that he's in a fat suit as the penguin. Mm. And there's this this like strangely reassuring or reaffirming idea that you can like become another character. And I think like disabled characters are used as kind of fodder for actors to demonstrate their ability to be chameleons. I could see that. Sure, yeah. And and I understand like it is inherently captivating to see an actor uh, become become another person. It's also, I suppose, on some level, an act of empathy to be able to do that. But again, then then there introduces that that artifice that we were talking about before, which is that we then get this idea that if you can if you can play a disabled person, then you can pretend that you've somehow contributed to helping them or contributed to their cause in some way. So I don't know. It's like this weird kind of, uh, the, the, the paradigm is, is, uh, strange. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think like, so this, this is another, this is another thing that we'll jump into because people seem to have different feelings about it and it's, you know, able-bodied care, uh, uh, actors playing people with disabilities. Should this Mm -hmm. be allowed? Is this like, you know, is well, the, it in- incredibly offensive when you see it or is it just like for me personally and I, I as a person without a disability, I don't know what that feels like uh, as an actor myself. I'd like to you know, there's always the argument that's like, well, the person's acting right. That's their job is to play mm-hmm. this part and this and this is always the argument that's made. And then yeah. an actor will take the part. And then they'll get the blowback and suddenly they apologize. Oh, I should have never taken this part. But it's like, but did you not like, I mean, you knew what you were taking on, right? Like you didn't seem to have an issue taking the part. I think like one person that I had spoken to, uh, they said, you know, the, the, I don't have an issue with, with actors playing people with disabilities. I have an issue with the fact that actors with disabilities don't have the options to actually auditions for the for these parts and that they're not showcased in movies like fine you want to you you play somebody that it's that's in a wheelchair great but i want to see somebody who's in a wheelchair for no reason just playing a character and that it's not mm-hmm. focused on that and and even the playing field yeah at, at the very least and i wonder how you feel about that well for me it's like you think of something like superstore uh the guy who plays garrett i can't remember his name he's like a a bit comedian he was also in parks and recreation but in superstore he uh there's a very funny character in a wheelchair uh who like he's like sort of casually disabled in that the show very deliberately doesn't address his disability in any like overly uh it doesn't become part of the plot of the Mm -hmm. show which is quite refreshing but then at the same time the dude is not disabled and there's really no reason why they couldn't cast a talented disabled actor in his role because again throughout the entire series there's nothing that really there's nothing really demanded of him that would require his able-bodiedness to sort of like authentically or realistically portray or something yeah so it it's unnecessary like you you could make a better decision on on that front uh, like in, in a casting sense mm-hmm. um but it's it's a difficult question because it's kind of a give and a take um d- um between like first of all you should always involve disabled creators in a story about disabled yeah. people seems like a no-brainer but there's th- there's also this caveat of like do you want 
visibility on on your film and sometimes i guess like casting a famous person is a very good good way of getting eyeballs on your on your story so it's like i don't know um it's complicated i know i know with talking oh sorry go ahead well no i want to hear what you have to say because we've talked about this a lot as you know disabled viewers Mm. but it really does interest me to hear what the other like the outside community thinks Hmm. especially as filmmakers yeah well for us it's it's i mean we're kind of an outlier right because we're filmmakers so we we are gonna watch a film based on the merits of the film itself we don't really care who's Mm -hmm. in it you know um and a lot of times the less famous people that are in it the more intriguing it can be because you can get lost in the characters versus seeing these famous people Mm -hmm. um so we're kind of i guess Mm -hmm. a little bit of outliers in it but i i was going to say that i feel like a lot of from a lot of people that we've talked to a lot of the pushback from the studios is the cost of it right if you have somebody who's disabled Mm -hmm. maybe they need a partner or or whatever accommodations they may need which would then add an extra cost to the to the film but when you when you look at when you break down what a, a a a production company is paying for a film I feel like that is so uh, low on the list of mm-hmm. of cost. It kind of that argument it's a to nice me excuse. <laughs> that argument to me falls apart. You know, if you were going to take Quiet Place for example, like, well, we can't hire a deaf person because then we would have to have somebody on set to translate or whatever it is. You know, um, so that argument's always been like kind of BS to me. But also, when you see are... like the crafts table at these sets, and there's just massive amounts of oh food <laughs> and candy and stuff everywhere, and I'm like, there's your ASL translator right there, yeah. and just that bowl of Twizzlers that nobody's freaking eating. Like, you know, to to say this is part of the oh, we don't have the budget for it. Like, well, maybe how about like maybe we don't. Uh, you know, like we've had actors on that are like, there was a dessert buffet and ice cream cake and all this. I'm like, is that necessary? <laughs> like, yeah. It's great. But like, was that necessary? Yeah. You know, you could have fit that in the budget if that's the issue. Well, that argument it also kind of... implies that like the cost of having a disabled person isn't worth it. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Like, like it would be great if someone's like, yeah. It's going to be more expensive up front, but think about the number of tickets we can sell by knowing that we're sharing this unique story or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, exactly, because they have no problem dropping all sorts of money for people just on their, you know, on well, yeah, their like, cloud. Do we, do we question that we have to pay this actor $7 million for this? Like, that's yeah. their rate, or they want $30 million, and they're like, oh, of course, because they're who they are. It's like, yeah. okay, well, this person's in a wheelchair, so we're going to have to accommodate that. Like, that's yeah. just what you have to do. Um, I mean, for me, I guess for me personally as a filmmaker, I feel like I handle a lot of like the initial part of our casting. And the problem is that there isn't a lot of platforms for disabled actors. I couldn't easily find disabled actors. I would have to go like email Eileen and be like, hey, do you have a list of friends or people that you can recommend? And then also, oh, okay, yeah, but they're in California. All right. That doesn't work for me now. I have a very sag. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I have a very small pool, if any, it's more of a puddle of people that I could potentially use. And then also, what if they don't work? Right. You know, am I just going to maybe they're not a strong yeah, actor and it's like, so am I just yeah. going to cast this person because I want the credit of right. saying, well, we have this person who has a disability, even though they're terrible for the part, which goes back into like you could be yeah. you can be disabled and just be an asshole. 
right? I mean, that, that can yeah, happen. Exactly. So you could be disabled and be a shitty actor. And, you know, like... And, yeah. and, and I would think that... And that's just what it is. And I would think that the, that lack of opportunities, it's going to be harder to get to that point. You know well, what I mean? Exactly. That's why what, like, what I, what I... In my dream world, right? And you could say to me, like, shut up. Uh, but okay, in, <laughs> in my dream world, it's like, okay, so if, if somebody's saying, well, here's, here's the storyline, right? This person starts off in the film... And uh, they're clearly able-bodied, right? So we have to have an able-bodied car- uh, actor because we need to be able to go back into those scenes. And if they they run right. and this and that, it's like, okay, well, obviously somebody who's mm. not able to do these things can't play that part. Right. But if you're going to, mm. as as a celebrity that goes, oh, I shouldn't have taken this role. Oh, I'm so sorry that I took <laughs> this role. I've cashed all the money for it, but I'm very sorry. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> How about going like, okay... Um, if it's necessary for me, uh, because the, the, the character is able-bodied at some point, I'll take the part, but I want 10 disabled actors cast in this film or on set, working in crew, something. That's the only way yeah. that I'll do it. Let's widen that you know that that pool. Let's, let's deepen the pool, rather, so that we can actually bring people in and because the problem is that there's not a lot of representation. There's not a lot of options and choices. And I'd imagine that it's probably not very welcoming to think, oh, I can be an actor. Sure, there's going to be tons of work for me as an actor um, being disabled. I don't feel like that's marketed to to people with disabilities. And so I feel like at the very least, if you're going to play that character, then you should be responsible. I mean, if you can go on a set and say, I, I need to make sure that the set is sustainable. I won't work without it. The whole thing must be vegan. I won't yeah. be on without it. Yeah. You know, I, I, I feel like these actors have much more pull. You know, the Brad yeah. Pitts of oh, the world yeah. that, you know, can say, fine, I'll take the part. I think it's an important story and that representation is great. However, yeah, I mean, they we should, are going to have they should do that co-stars anyway. that, yeah, yeah, they should. But I'm just saying like in, in these situations where it's like suddenly they're apologetic about it. It's like, well, you had the, you had the opportunity to kind of, be part of the change there. And mm. instead it was just like, oh, I don't know the studios. And it's like, well, you know, I, I think you have a little bit more pull than that. Yeah. It, it's a very complicated problem because you're right. Like just because you're disabled obviously doesn't make you a good actor and you shouldn't be cast just based on that. And I think it also depends on like the size and the needs of the role. Like, there are so many movies where, you know, the main character is an, is an able-bodied actor playing a disabled role, and it's fine because they're a good actor, they're breathing good life into that role. But then there's, like, background actors all the time, and uh, I always play this game to try to figure out how many of them are actually disabled. Right. And, like, if you're in a disabled setting, why not? use disabled background actors at the very least give them some kind of exposure um and and then paul you also hit on the head with just it's it's a bit of a chicken or the egg situation where you know those people don't have the opportunity to gain the experience Mm -hmm. to get really good and get into that level of acting where they can play these roles really really well sell tickets and bring audiences and and show that story really well um i I do love the idea though of just 
having actors play, like disabled actors play various roles just to get better at acting. Mm -hmm. And those roles don't have to be at all about their disability. They can just be bit roles, minor characters, and then that is a good way for them to get incorporated into the scene and, mm -hmm. and then just develop their skills. Yeah. At, at the very least, like, I would like there to be disabled people in the mm -hmm. writer's yeah. room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, contributing to the smaller details of the story that sell the authenticity of that of that character. Uh, you know, like, there's probably a reason that my left mm -hmm. foot is, like, the most famous of all disability-flavored mm -hmm. movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because that, I mean, that, that personal experience is what I think is lacking also, you know, somebody trying to write for someone else's experience is always going to sort of be exaggerated or, uh, or, or to, to some extent. Um, and I, I think that also there's also this, there's this thing that I, I notice whenever um, there's like a scene where it's like uh, personal care or bathing or changing there's always it's almost like this gentle like baby thing that people do and it's like this is a grown ass person yeah. like you know like yeah, yeah, um exactly. you need to like th there's no way that that is that it's such a precious moment every day you know it's like we're taking a shower <laughs> and we have to take a shower and you've got to scrub your ass and that's just what you have to do <laughs> and like let's just do that instead of having like there's almost this weird like sexual undertone to like those <laughs> moments where it's like why is this why does this feel so intimate you know and this is an everyday thing that that this wouldn't be such a uh, such a weird kind of like special secret behind the door moment you know this yeah. is just a, a an everyday occurrence that needs to be done it's just personal care it, challenges with personal hygiene are a recurring topic <laughs> on our podcast when we're talking mm. about our lives and some of the things that we have to say about it are deeply unflattering mm -hmm. you know like it's it's not sentimental mm. at all yeah it's, it's very much you're just getting up in the morning and someone is there doing it you're right it's not i don't have orchestral music playing in the background <laughs> while I'm having a shower and yeah. like, does everything well, you're at missing out. speed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but then there's also this sort of other side of it where you're right, there is this sort of like almost sexual undertone or like this perceived intimacy that it doesn't exist, let me tell you. But mm. also there is a very common trope, I would say, in the movies we've watched where disabled people are super under-sexualized mm. in the normal ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it is interesting where, as you say that, I'm starting to think of like the, the places where we're under-sexualized and then the places where we're just wrongly, confusingly sexualized. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah, I feel like it's like when when you should be at your most vulnerable is kind of when it's like made into a fetish. Uh -huh. This weird, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and then but then in the day to day life, it's like I what movie what movie does an able bodied character have a partner who's disabled if it's not 
if they, if it's not to uh you know like theory of everything where it's like we have to sort of add this angelic aspect to this person who is taking care of this other person and the kindness of their heart and mm. you know uh as opposed to just the fact that there's people that there's couples that that were one is able bodied and one isn't right yeah yeah like it is very very common we've talked about this quite a bit when when you're out with someone or you're like on a date or whatever you people's last uh hypothesis is that the person you're with is your partner mm. it's yeah. usually your nurse or your sister or your you know caretaker of just those, yeah. caretaker yeah yeah that's so that's it's something you don't think about until no, you start going back and you're like yeah actually no like yeah I, you know um was the movie with hillary swank um mm. and e emily ross yeah you're and it's you. like you know it has mm -hmm. to be it's it's always like i need to be saved and then i'm like of course this guy cheats on her yeah like, of course he's of gonna course, cheat yeah. on her and then they have to <laughs> they have to forge this friendship where they're in it together and um yeah it feels like that's more uh, it, it feels like it's more for the audience it's just like this weird perverse feel-good moment where we don't really think about what that means for somebody else and that that's not always the case you know yeah well, they want to have their cake and eat it too because they want to, they want to um, uh, put all this sentiment toward Hillary Swank's vulnerability in the shower post disability, um, but then they also try to convincingly argue that her husband must become celibate the moment mm -hmm. that she becomes right. disabled. Like all intimacy must leave because she is suddenly afflicted with the fragility mm -hmm. of disability, and that's mm -hmm. bullshit. Yeah. Like oh, absolute yeah. bullshit. Uh, but again, it's playing to like uh, like just audience uh, ignorance or just not having any disabled people in their lives and not knowing how to confront it, uh, our own collective discomfort with what disability means and how it how it uh, affects your yeah. intimate yeah. life. And it's. It, oh, I was just sorry, gonna say it's. It's interesting how we will credit someone like Colin Farrell for like making the ultimate sacrifice in being in a fat suit. I mean, we all know how difficult that's going to be. Um, but yet, like, yeah, don't. Yeah. But we we will, uh, in the same breath, criticize someone who is overweight. Right. Where we don't mm -hmm. go like, hey, good for you for carrying right. all that extra weight around. You're awesome. Right. You know, but we'll like, right. but exactly. we'll we'll give someone an award for pretending to do that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know. For sure. It, if a celebrity is willing to diminish their yes. beauty, then it's like, holy crap, yes. how daring yeah. of you. But <laughs> yeah, this is why uh, sometimes I uh, really appreciate movies where the disabled allegory is like super obfuscated. So I don't know if this is like a, a valid thesis, but I think that the, the David Cronenberg film, mm -hmm. The Fly has a lot of parallels like with with the disabled <laughs> experience i know it makes me <laughs> because obviously i'm gonna it's talk like about this i'm interested, I'm interested. go go <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's like i don't know if you make a creature feature with a lot of body horror and you're exploring like the the effects of of aging and mm -hmm. degenerative illness and disability like via this 
this metaphor, then you can go to places and you can be unflattering and you can scare audiences and you can force them to confront their discomfort mm. with these things. And um, b like, because as soon as you put like a wheelchair in the text, we're immediately expected to be comforted in some way about the realities of mm -hmm. that person's situation. But if you make them if you make them a monster, like I know it's not, it's, it's, it's a problem to associate disability with monstrosity, but I think Cronenberg's films, uh, do a lot of work to establish empathy for his characters before he veers into that like B movie mm. schlock. And so I think there's a lot of really compelling ideas there. And so that, I regularly revisit <laughs> the fly and I, it's a good film. I, I love it's a that good film. film. I don't know. So yeah, that I mean, you're not you. Just it drove me absolutely crazy. Okay. It, <laughs> Did you see um, uh, the one with Joaquin Phoenix? He won't get far on foot or something like that. Yeah. I, no, I, I don't know. We'll we'll eventually watch it for sure. But I, I after the, yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I, I remember when that came out, there was a lot of like the, the usual backlash of like, why is another actor playing? And, and I mean, I do understand that they're famous, you know, that's a, a huge lure of it. Yeah. If you get Joaquin Phoenix, it's like, well, you're just going to get asses in the seat automatically. It doesn't matter what he's doing. You're going to get that. And so there is that. Mm -hmm. But I, I do personally just wish that there was um, there just that there were more options and that we did sort of create a, a, a more. Uh, an environment that was more inclusive to that so that mm -hmm. we can find these actors. And the, the only way we're going to do that is by getting them on camera. You yeah. need somebody to say, Oh, who played that part? Who was the, the, the cashier in that? Who played the best friend? Like yeah. what, what was that actor's name? Um, well, what, what was that show that we watched that show raising Dion. Right. And there was a, yeah, one the, of the, the little girl. Yeah. The little girl. They the didn't really track. address it. And she was, <laughs> She Quite was honestly, just, the best actor she, in the yeah, whole show. Yeah, that was the show, funny but, thing. The, um, the star of that show is not—he's not a strong actor. This kid at all, but his—the little girl who plays his friend, who is in a wheelchair, was like probably one of the stronger actors aside from Jason Ritter in 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 the in the in the, mm -hmm. the whole show. And we're mm -hmm. like, well, geez, like you know, like what the hell? Yeah, they did a, a good job with that in terms of just treating that character as if she was just another school student, you know, mm -hmm. and. I appreciated that, but the the, the mm -hmm. show itself is very kind of diverse and, mm -hmm. and stuff, and it was very kind of. I had my problems with it as a as a show, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the but storyline was that little... was definitely one of its strengths, and um, I I I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's to your point. Like I, you know, listening to the conversation and stuff, and reflecting back on everything, it's like you think to your guys' point earlier about you know, well, if we get Brad Pitt to play a disabled person for a role then that brings eyeballs to this issue or whatever mm -hmm. we can whatever but then i wonder like well brad pitt was not famous once you know and so mm -hmm. if there's a uh mm. the next the next crop of actors if you were for lack of a better phrase coming up if they're more diverse than that i think is more powerful and yeah it's not immediate obviously but i think it's more genuine to have that um kind of grow within the community itself versus kind of forcing it through this kind of guise of look at this famous person and then like at some point are you going to switch brad pitt out like you know what i mean it does at the end of the day it does bring more eyeballs to that specific mm. thing but then i wonder if it helps in the larger scheme i don't know you know i don't know there's also because of 
like the sheer like deluge of media that we have coming at us nowadays uh it doesn't take long to create a yeah, new celebrity right. like you, you know like when stranger things came out like millie bobby brown was a household name in yeah. like 24 mm-hmm. hours yeah but then and i think like julia garner in uh in mm-hmm. inventing ozark, anna and yeah. ozark like she's becoming mm-hmm. the new big thing and uh i think you know very justifiably so but just my point is like it yeah. happens quickly now so all it takes is one big role and somebody willing to take a risk uh to cast a disabled person and let them hit the yeah you know, and then i think big. then then there's always the fear right because this has happened in all the other aspects of it is if you have somebody let's say in a wheelchair that is an amazing actor and they become popular well all of a sudden if you need a disabled person, you call that person. It's the only person they'll you know, choose. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, it's like they yeah, are now yeah. representative of all disabilities <laughs> all everywhere. Disabilities, yeah. You know, and so yeah. that's yeah. that's uh, definitely a concern for that kind of avenue because they do it with women. They do it with minorities and stuff. I feel like so. Hollywood kind of does that. Like, look, we have Peter Dinklage. What more do you want? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what more yeah. do you want? That's so true. Yeah. Well, now it's like you can just part of the casting process is how many Instagram followers oh, do you that's, have? Oh, oh my God. We, we talk about that all the that's time. That's with it's, everything. It's so annoying. Um, it, like, it's yeah. just all, it's across the entire spectrum. And it's it's insane that, uh, you know, I, I I could lose a part to an actor that just started acting and maybe isn't as strong because I don't have enough Instagram followers. And that's really yeah. all it comes down to. Yeah. It doesn't matter how many. You don't many, need acting classes anymore. It you doesn't just need to matter how followers. much money I've spent in coaches and, and yeah. practicing. And it just doesn't matter because, you know, your popularity is, is what gets you in. Um, I do also wonder though, uh, and here's what I, f- I feel like what's going to happen is like, yeah, they'll sort of have this poster watch. board child yeah. for who gets to be the disabled actor for Hollywood. And yeah. uh, that that's you and lucky you, the but then, person, yeah. then also, um, your typecast, like, so there's this, yeah. The, yeah, yeah. this conundrum that like, uh, okay, so what do I do now here? Because I'm being an, I'm, I'm being offered, uh, a way in. But I'm always going to be playing a character whose existence and focus is being disabled. We do this with, uh, you know, with um, I think Riz Ahmed had actually said in an interview, he's like, I will not play a terrorist. Like, I don't care how much they're offering me. Like, I'm yeah. not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's there there's that sort of push and pull with that where I can see that as well, where it's like, well, if I turn this down, then I lose the opportunity to sort of even create a snail's pace at that point, right? If I just turn yeah. it down, but then you don't want to get stuck in the cycle of like, am I ever going to get out of this role? Is it ever not going to be the focus of my existence? I think we saw that a little bit with a show we've covered uh, quite extensively called Special, mm-hmm. where um, this uh, writer, then actor, Ryan O'Connell, he has CP. And uh, created a show about kind of his life. And I felt, personally at least, that he kind of seemed to struggle with that, where he was trying to address all of these issues in two seasons Mm. and basically trying to be like, all right, guys, they gave me the baton. Let's try to, you know, shine the spotlight on all disability issues. And then some of them might not have been issues that he's faced personally. So then he has to do the thing that, you know, other able-bodied creators have to do where they just sort of assume certain elements or, Mm -hmm. 
uh, writing, fill in the blanks. And there were definitely parts of that show that were lost on Jamie and myself, I think partially because of things like that, where Mm -hmm. it just felt like he had this, he probably had a sense of pressure to, you know, take that spotlight that he was giving and try to Mm -hmm. help the community. Yeah. But doesn't necessarily have the breadth of experience that every disabled person has, Mm -hmm. nor why would he, right? But uh, there is probably some certain amount of pressure to at least try. Yeah. There, There's a moment as a disabled viewer where you're like, okay, who made this person the ambassador? Yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. come right. on. And that's that. But I mean, I mean, some of this is just the growing pains of like yeah. new ideas or uh, new, new characterizations, new, new kinds of stories like entering the fray. And it like, as you gradually build a genre or you slowly defy expectations as to how an actor should be cast or who is appropriate for a role like you know you 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 grow out of these things hopefully right and it's interesting too because it's you know um like i wonder if it gets to the point like you can't have an authentic um story involving a disabled person without a disabled person's point of view and Uh and specifically to that Mm -hmm. disability um but you know whereas now you have men writing films that have women in it and writing those women parts and women writing Mm. film and vice versa and um and that's because that experience is mainstream i guess for lack of a better phrase you know Uh people are in that and where I don't know. Like, I feel like it's it's so different that experience because it's not mainstream. And I and I I often I wonder now if like if that were to become could there ever be a point in which it would be mainstream enough that experience that people are able to write it because they are experiencing that uh, by proxy, right? And so um, mm-hmm. I doubt I doubt that would ever happen because our society is a, a disaster um, <laughs> and stuff like that. But that I mean I guess. I assume that would be the ultimate goal, right? Is that, and to your point, to our, the stuff we were talking about earlier is that you're just writing this character, right? And so the character traits of a person, whether you're an asshole, a good person, uh, the best, the funny best friend, whatever it is, you're writing that character. And then the aspects of them, if they're disabled, if they're a minority, if they're male or female, like all that stuff is kind of just helps kind of fill out the character afterwards. But the initial traits are the same for everybody. And so, you know, there's that thing of like just writing the characters out and then like um, at what point do you decide decide that this person is disabled like or this person is that. And if you're not in that world, like, you know, we don't we don't live in that world right? we don't have friends that we hang out with on the regular that are that that we have exposure to that world. So I don't know, then we're making a point of making that person disabled and is that helpful hurtful you know and 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 that sort of thing so Mm. you know and obviously you know you you do the necessary steps if the part if 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 it came to that point where you wanted to have this person uh in a wheelchair let's say and um you know to do the to do the, the the required homework and cast appropriately and all that sort of stuff and it's like i don't know that's another conundrum for filmmakers too right are we are are we pandering to that by making this person disabled are we are we bringing eyes on it you know because every casting decision is so 
specific and particular. Well, but you know what I mean? Like, also, I, I like guess, the fact that, and then you start overthinking it. Like I'm doing in real time. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like the fact that that it's a it's an actual thing in Hollywood that a disabled actor cannot audition for a disabled part. Right. I was floored by that. I was like, well, wait a minute. Like, do I expect them to actually hire them? No, because it's Hollywood. But the fact that it's like, oh, no, no, don't send, you know, do, you're saying to a casting agent, to a manager, don't send me any of your clients that are disabled for this specific, that have this exact disability. They're not allowed to audition. And it's like, mm -hmm. how did, what? You know, like, yeah. I mean, it's just not even a, a, a consideration. And, and, and I also wonder of, of, you know, there's, there's like such a plethora of disabilities, right? We seem to yeah. just like hang on to one thing. Right. This if it's not super in obscure and in your face, like yeah. it's not, right? Yeah. And that's like our favorite. They're in a wheelchair because it's obvious. Oh, you can right. see it. Look, they're sitting in a wheelchair. Yeah, I can see it's... that they're disabled, clear, done, whatever. Um, but there's people that do utilize wheelchairs that don't always need to use wheelchairs and so then right. it's like well why would they mm -hmm. not be in a wheelchair 24 7 it's yeah. like because they don't need to be right. um and also there are disabilities that you can't see and we don't really incorporate mm -hmm. those things i've said this and people usually laugh at it but it's because it's something that i personally experience i have autoimmune disorders and i have ibs and we don't talk about shit like that in movies we don't Literally. talk about <laughs> characters no. that have ibs yeah. Like, it's just, it's, it's really strange to me. And, you know, I, I don't understand like what, or, or it's used as a joke, right? Like it's going to be like, yeah. you become the Ben Stiller in Along Came Polly where it's like, he's got IBS and he's going to crap in somebody's house and not have toilet yeah, paper. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to be, hilarious. and look, it is hilarious. I can laugh at that because I have IBS. So I'm like, yeah, that is funny. But why is, why don't we ever see the other side of that where like, it's this it's this really dramatic movie. It's a heartstrings kind of movie or like this person's struggling. Oh, it's a single mom who's struggling and she got fired. Well, why'd she get fired? Because she keeps running to the bathroom because she has to or because she has terrible or she has IBSC and she has terrible cramps and she can't function that day. You know, it's yeah. like we don't we don't. There, I've never seen a film where before a scene, a hit person takes a puff of an asthma pump. Do you know what I mean? Because that wouldn't stop them from being able, being able to do what they're about to do. But it's just this extra layer of like, oh, shit, they have asthma, you know? Like, well, unless, because, it was, unless it was played for, for a joke. Yeah, unless, it, you know, they, they, they'll play it for a joke. Yeah, like, oh, they'll be winded in the middle of them trying to kill these people because they have asthma. But yeah. it's like, you know, I, I always I wish that we saw that more, that there was that representation of like what happens when people have lupus and they're having a flare up and what that does and that how how that affects people. Um, I think it's a lack of imagination from a script writing yeah. point of view. Uh, wheelchairs are innately uh, conducive mm -hmm. to the screen. Like you can create something cinematic around a, a person in a wheelchair and uh, the invisible disabilities, mm -hmm. you can't do that. So it doesn't lend itself to mm -hmm. the medium of film. And you have to write it into the script cleverly. I don't know. Like you, I could see somebody like Charlie Kaufman or Alexander Payne or uh, or the Coen Brothers, like doing yes. that quite compellingly, introducing the the person's invisible disability in ways that make the problems they have to solve throughout the film more interesting, or layer it mm -hmm. with characterization. Uh, but it's not uh, it's not a trivial task. Yeah. Yeah. So well, we also hear stories all the time of. 
uh, a script being rewritten for the person they cast for the role. And so it would be great to see, you know, just an everyday script, whatever it is, like a drama, a rom-com, and then you see a disabled person audition for that, and they go, you're a good actor, let's kind of tweak this script so that it, you know, maybe we don't have that fight scene on the flight of stairs or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you can, again, you achieve that goal of having a movie created that involves a disabled person but doesn't revolve around a disabled person. Yeah. Yeah. But I also appreciate where you're coming from with the notion of, like, you know, the the sort of anxiety that has been created as a result of this conversation war on Twitter where, you know, people don't want you to hire able-bodied people to play disabled people ever. And I do think, um, you know, we've talked about this quite a bit, and I think Jamie mentioned it earlier, but it does help build some empathy Mm. to have someone you know, try to understand what it's like to have this specific form of disability or, or you know, some, some difference and, and have that inform their acting or the screenwriting or whatever. I think that is an important exercise because I don't want, I think the whole goal that everyone wants is inclusion. And mm-hmm. if we're separating all disabled roles must be played by the exact person with that exact disability. Doesn't really lend itself to like fully integrating into the able-bodied world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also logistically like probably an impossible uh-huh. problem from a casting mm-hmm. director point of view. Like you have to be realistic. There are constraints, of yeah. course. Yeah, but I think also like what I wonder is. Uh, how much reference you have like when somebody is playing if it's a biopic right and they'll go hang out with this person who's like uh you know was convicted of like fraud and so they'll sit there and just go into that and and study that person and their accent and their movements and their gestures um and you know when you see people on that an able-bodied actor that plays somebody who's disabled and they win their award i'm always wondering like where's the person that like shadowed with them that like you know like i i couldn't if i was offered that part first thing i would say is i need to find people that have this disability Mm -hmm. i need to sit with this person and talk to them what are your daily experiences like and i need them on set with me like I yeah. want this person on set with me you to can't be like, afford it. Sorry. That, yeah, we need cake. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I, I want this person on set with me telling me like, hey, that's not that's not quite right. Or here's, you know, let's try this or let's try that. And when you when you win that award, yeah. where where is this person? You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't see them come on stage with them. Here's the person that 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 this is the reason why I won because I was able to have this experience and get this firsthand experience from this person. It's always just like this, like uh, that actors are treated like their talent is what they learned how to be disabled (laughs) through their magical talents where it's like, no, clearly if I have to play somebody who has a club foot, I'm going to watch somebody 
that's walking with a club foot and see their their movements. And, you know, if you're smart about it, you're actually going to interact with this person and say, you know, what should I know? What pains do you have? Where, where else does this transfer in your body? Because you're shifting all your weight over here. So what does that do to the other side of your body? Um, you know, and mm-hmm. again, it's just sort of this like, this, we give this sort of like ethereal kind of magic to to actors that that play these characters out really thinking about what goes into that i just, i have fun like imagining like daniel day lewis in the late 80s like hanging out in some <laughs> living environment um, amongst like a dozen people with cerebral palsy and he's like trying to get all the spastic mannerisms correct and like turning his foot in the pro the, the proper angle and looking all asymmetrical yeah. and whatever the fuck and <laughs> just just like the 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 residents of that uh, assisted living environment yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> can you follow me Jen, please I want to watch you follow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah is this guy making fun of us like i don't get what's going on yeah, here yeah. like like if there was no context they just He's let him walk serious. in and they're yeah. like what's going oh, on yeah. uh yeah yeah um well you know i i think that Obviously, we still have a, a ways to go, but I think what you guys, are, what you're doing is awesome because it really does, it really does shed that light on the fact that that we we're not quite there, uh, not even close. Um, but that that there are, it's it's not such such a black and white issue. You know, there are going to be people that feel the way they feel, and will never be happy with whatever is done. There's always going to be somebody that takes mm-hmm. issue with with something. But yeah. um, my experience, everybody's has angry been, all the time. Yeah, but my I find like my experience is that the people that like they really go ham on like this character shouldn't have been played by this person are usually able bodied people. It's like they have to attach themselves to something to be outraged by and disabled people are like, yeah, not a good choice, but here's how we could approve on it. I'm not yeah. mad at you. Like, great performance, I guess. A little overdone, but that's what you tend to do. But, like... <laughs> looking, at, can... looking at you, Eddie. <laughs> looking at you, Eddie. <laughs> uh, but, but like, here's <laughs> here's what we would like to see. You know, here's how... He, he, can can we get on set? Mm-hmm. You know, fine, you're playing the part, but can we, yeah. can we have this diversity in casting where we're allowed to have actors with disabilities? And so uh, I, I, I think your podcast is great, and I think it's awesome that... Um, you know, you, you are you are speaking uh, uh, from experience and that you can get that side of things. Yeah. I think we're going to have to just keep moving the goalposts intentionally too, right? Like, yeah. we, mm-hmm. I don't think you ever want to be like, okay, we're good. That's enough representation. Thanks. Right. Yeah. right, right. We gave so, you Dinklage again. What, what more do you want? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you're right. Like, we have to start somewhere. And I think, you know, having disabled people as consultants and then recognizing who they are in the in the cast and in the you know in the award ceremony if that happens like you said that's yeah. fantastic and then just keep pushing the goal for the goalposts forward yeah um is ideal you know eventually hopefully there is a world where seeing a disabled person on screen is common enough that we don't even have to have these conversations anymore. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for being on. We'll have links to everything so everyone can check out your podcast. Um, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Thank you. This is great. Thanks for having Bye. us. So that was Anthony and Jamie um, from Cripple Threat. And we um, going to hopefully get to work.
Yeah, I, I think I think there will be more stuff happening in the future with them. I like talking to people that aren't in the business but like films. Yeah, you know what I mean. That's <laughs> the thing that I noticed. Like they knew, they knew a lot about. But they knew a lot about filmmaking, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think, and I think that people that watch films and are serious about film, films and watching them know a lot about st structure and mm -hmm. and they know en enough about what's going on behind the scenes. And I feel like those are the types of people that make good directors. You know, it's not always about the technical side of it. Um, just from talking with Jamie, especially, like I feel like he could be. Um, like a good director in, in time in terms of storytelling because he's been able to analyze and break down stories so well mm, you know yeah so, um, yeah it's just always fun to talk to people just a bit like it's we love talking to our guests and people that are in the business but um i just feel like especially uh there, there's i don't know i mean there's obvious issues that are in hollywood and and those problems mm -hmm. um but i think that you know, it's it's sometimes like there's no there's no um, shortage of stories that are sort of interchangeable with guests because we all experience the same kind of bullshit on set. And so yeah. sometimes it's like I just want to talk to somebody who's not in this that just is like kind of has a pure heart in it in their yeah. own way. Like, you know what? I'm not invested in what you have to go through on set as a filmmaker. Like I just this is I'm watching it as the audience member and, mm -hmm. and just hearing what somebody has to say about that. And yeah. I think like um it's it's sort of a testament to uh, uh, the fact that you can still have the, the 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 understanding of structure and not be in the business, and it sort of speaks out to uh, you know production companies that don't give audience members enough credit sometimes, right? You know where they're like, oh, they don't know any better, and it's yeah. like, oh, I think they do, you know. Well, like, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like they're normal. You know, they're your normal moviegoer. Well, for for like more independent stuff, I think when you have yeah. like your mainstream like garbage rom com or whatever, that's just yeah, like that's just mindless shit that nobody cares about the structure, first, second, and third act of anything. Right. They're just kind of like, oh, what's John Cena doing in this? Is he taking his shirt off? That's pretty much the focus yeah. of that kind of movie. But you know, when it comes to more independent stuff, that I mean it in the way that it's like they don't. There's not enough um, opportunity given to independent filmmakers because they feel like. You know, uh, there's not enough uh, desire for it. Yeah, uh, and there is. You're, you're just not giving it to people. <laughs> like, like they're not gonna get right. it. Right, that's the thing. You know, like I would love a a Marvel movie that has some some solid character development and and a, and a good solid plot. But they they're like, well, nobody cares because we have to meet the explosion quota. Yeah, but yeah. I think you can have explosions and character development in the same film. Um. Also, uh. So completely unrelated. So also we're going to have links to, to their, to their podcast. Um, um, but related to all that. And I'm remembering since she said um, Marvel and stuff. Um, apparently um, AMC has decided to start charging different yeah, prices for I different films. And I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> like, um, I have to say, Capitalism. I didn't really see this coming. I should have. Absolutely yeah. should have seen it coming. I'm surprised they didn't do this sooner. But when I read it, I was like, huh, okay. Um, so now there's going to be like more for, prime yeah. prime pricing for uh, newer uh, films. For films that are in demand, yeah. uh, which is just such a load of shit, quite honestly, because what you're charging for tickets overall already yeah. was obscene. 
um and the fact that that's going to go up by yeah. what did they say like a dollar 50 or something like that i don't, I don't remember is like yeah. what i saw this too and i was like here we go are you trying to get people away from the theater i, seriously, I anymore? already don't want to go to the movies because it's crap and now you got to charge me more but you're not i'm not getting anything more no no you know I'm not getting anything more there was a who was it somebody was talking about like uh well if you're gonna start charging me more why don't i start paying you like as the movie progresses <laughs> So for five dollars, let me see the first half hour. Yeah. And if I want to keep going, I'll just keep paying as like as I go through the film. Or at the, the end, can I be like, that was not satisfactory. I'd like well, a yeah, refund, just say please. That all the time, but yeah. Um, it's like the fuck out of here. So you're almost ensuring at that point that you're only gonna allow people to go for big events like Marvel yeah. and DC and and it Star seems Wars. Like an and amazing stuff. way to alienate your your um customers in in an environment where they've already sort of been teetering yeah you know it's and like, i don't know what this means for the i don't get it for the um like the movie pass they have they have that amc mm. i mean that's the one near us i know there's more i'm sure they'll but... raise the price but have it like be oh well like, if you were to watch 10 movies this year yeah. you'll save five dollars by doing it this yeah. way um uh, 10 in-demand movies that is uh, yeah, I, I think that's kind of a, a major bullshit move, honestly, on AMC's part. I'm not surprised by it at all. And I'm sure that other theaters will follow uh, follow oh, suit yeah. and, and, and start doing that. Again, I'm really, I don't know why I didn't think of this being a thing before. It totally makes sense. And, mm -hmm. and I get I get that, that they're going to, you know, kind of die on that hill that because of COVID and this and that. Yeah. Um, but... Because people are coming back, but not enough for them to sustain. So they have to uh, increase prices. And so that's what they're doing. And it's just going to alienate people more. Yeah, like you were saying. Yeah, we are. I mean, I would like to see Batman in the theater. Um, but uh, it probably won't be like we're going to try to go maybe during the week. Um, mm -hmm. And then also, that's the funny thing is like matinees have sort of become a thing of the past like you used to yeah. be able to go to the movies at like 10 o'clock in the morning uh and and like a raging 80 year old that was my prime time to go yeah. i loved it uh there were less people there all good and now uh at least the amc by us i think some with some the, there's been some that are like at 150 but it's usually three o'clock that seems to be their sweet spot so you basically yeah. have one matinee Anything like before two o'clock used to be a matinee, mm -hmm. and now you have one show before you're paying full price. Yeah, um, which now with the price hike would be the same the amount. Same. <laughs> like and that, you're still going to be annoying kids there. So. There's still going to be annoying kids there and shit, um, but hopefully less. If we were to catch a three o'clock, and there'd be just kind of less people crowding around us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, ugh. I don't know. And then I, I also don't know if that's for like the Dolby theater or whatever. Yeah. I don't know if that's like the regular one. Because if it is, fuck that noise. Yeah. <laughs> not sitting in regular seats. No, get out of here. Not not once I've been been in a reclined seat. I'm not going yeah. back to that. Um, but yeah, so that kind of interesting. Like we we may or may not get to see that movie. And I know. I, I'm, I'm a big, I'm not a big Marvel fan, but I like DC more. So um, I've been waiting for them to get DC right uh, yeah. And I'm although just... I I do enjoy I, Michael Keaton as Batman, I loved and I, I love Nolan's Batman's, yeah. but I just mean like generally with DC 
storylines mm-hmm. and characters. They tend not to do well. Batman's probably the only one that people do well, right. Yeah, because you know why they didn't have what's his face involved in it. So, um, but uh, you know, I'm, I don't know. The other DCs, they just, they just haven't gotten right. And I, I heard that this was the most cinematic. Yeah. I was told it was very long. To yeah, be long. to be uh, prepared for that, mm-hmm. um, but I, I'm excited to see it. Bring a catheter. <laughs> Strap it to my to my leg. Yeah. Uh, I I just uh, I just don't know that we'll get to. Yeah, we'll see what happens. How crazy is that? Yeah. Uh, anyway, shout outs to MoGraph. To MoGraph. To the to the Mo to the MoGraphers. Mo to the graph. And uh, if you have anything that you think we should watch that's not in the theater mm-hmm. um <laughs> let us know and uh, i don't know what's going on next week we have some stuff to review uh we've watched some things and uh yeah it, i don't know we'll figure it out we will thanks okay bye, bye. We love you.